What is going on, guys? Welcome back to another episode of Lost and Lifting Talk. I just had one of the most productive weeks that I think I've had in my entire life. So it's, to give context, it's Saturday afternoon. I think I talked about this on a previous podcast earlier in the week as well, um, where I talked about that I've started time blocking, putting timestamps in my day to focus on certain things to be able to get more done, keep me off of my phone more often so I'm not mindlessly searching through social media or like looking for different things to do throughout the day with kind of a scatterbrain. So what I've been doing is taking the night before the next day, I'll look at what I need to complete and I'll give myself like a two to four hour window in the upcoming day to work on that one task. And so doing that over the last week, I've been able to produce, this is the third podcast of the week. I've written two blogs. I've sent out two emails. I've got everything posted on uh, my social media platforms. I've been able to do a bunch more of my programming for clients, a lot more nutrition um, programming and things that I've just got so much more content out. My first and foremost um important thing of each day the thing that i have to get done is obviously work with clients clients that are working with me one-on-one those are the people that i'm conversating with every day and like that's the job that has to get done every day for my business to move forward but to continually grow the business i need to be creating content the content is what helps you guys to be able to learn and implement inside of your own journeys it helps me be able to grow my business because as you see more and more of the content um, a lot of the time that will get people to decide that they want to work with me on a one-to-one basis to help them even further in their own journeys and just build the loss and lifting brand and my own personal brand even more as a more credible person in the space. And so I've always been doing around one podcast per week. I haven't been writing any blogs since I very first started, since I very first started coaching. That was actually how I first got into the, the fitness space was blogging like four years ago. I've gotten back into that. I've written two blogs this week, all the podcasts, all the emails and everything. So that's a long rant. But what I'm, what I'm getting at is that if you're struggling and you're finding it hard to, to complete the tasks in a day that you know you need to get done, just simply creating a plan for yourself the night before. And like for me, I just put it in my Google calendars, time block it out. So my phone will beep at me and send me a notification a half hour before I'm supposed to start my next task. So it just takes me from one task to the next task. And if I have that, if you have a personality like me, perhaps that's kind of scatterbrained, if I have that and know I have a plan, then I just end up getting so much more done and just feel more productive and like a better human being. I, I get that way when I'm not getting the things done that I need to, the anxiety of it all builds up and I get more stressed. I'm not as good of a husband. I'm not as good of a father. I'm not as good of a business owner. And I'm starting to find out that I'm not as good as of a coach either. And so this is just week one. I'll keep you guys updated on this. I don't know why I'm bringing it up. It's just something that I feel like might, might benefits you to have time blocks in your day for the things that you need to get done. I'm fully aware too that a lot of you have nine to five jobs, but maybe even time blocking around those nine to five jobs to get the things you need to get done. So like early in the mornings, if you have some time block, like maybe to journal, things like that, or like to meal prep, whatever it may be, you have a little bit of time in the morning for that. And then after 
you get done with work, you have time blocks or on, on your weekends. If you're looking to achieve some sort of a goal, um, with like, uh, a second business that you're trying to start on your own or something, time, time block your weekends, time block time to spend with your family that you need, and then time block the tasks that you need to get done. And you're going to be far more likely to get them done if you have a plan rather than just trying to throw a dart with blindfolds on and just hoping you get it done rather than like blocking it out to ensure that you're going to get it done and have a plan. If you don't have a plan, the old, as the old saying goes, right? Either fail the plan and you plan to fail. And that is very true. I'm, I'm definitely starting to realize that the older and older that I get, and especially as I keep running my own businesses and, and not in the nine to five world anymore, if you're not planning out and being strategic with what you're doing, you're never going to accomplish anything. Doing a little bit of everything, you're never going to finish anything. So, so yeah, I hope this brings a little bit of value to you at the first. That's not obviously what today's episode is about. We are going to talk about um, how to build a training program. This is something that I'm super passionate about. I love the art form and craft of building training programs. And a lot of people will go about building a program in different ways. Maybe you're working with a coach that has it set up in a little bit of a different way than I would set it up, but any well put together training program that's going to produce the result that you're looking for is going to be built off of these principles that we're going to talk about. I've actually written a blog on this as well that I will link down below. And I'm kind of going to follow the blog that I've just written um, as my outline for this podcast. So I'm going to kind of read through the blog through this podcast to explain to you everything so that, um, yeah, it's just easier. So if you would like, you're more than welcome to go down after you listen to this podcast and read the blog to further take the information to be able to go out and create your own programs. Maybe you're a coach and you need to, um, you'd like a little bit more information on how to create programs for your clients. This is all going to be super helpful. And this isn't, this isn't for like somebody that's just wanting to be a bodybuilder or like a power lifter athlete. This is a this is what I do for all my gen pop clients. So this is the exact way that I program for my moms that are looking to lose some weight, dads that are looking to lose some weight, the older generation, um, younger kids that are just getting in. Obviously, the way you you set up the program is going to be dependent on the experience level of the individual. But the principles to that program are still going to remain the same. So we're going to talk about the different experience levels and the different types of things you'll have to incorporate dependent on the experience level of the person that you're programming for or for yourself. But at the same time, you're going to follow these core principles for all your programs, regardless of the experience level. It, they'll, you'll still have these core principles in place, but the way that you use them might just be a little bit different. So I'm excited for you guys to listen to this episode. Thank you so much for tuning in and let's just hop into it. So first and foremost, when you go to create a program, you've got to understand who you're creating it for. I touched on this a little bit in the introduction, but is your client or yourself a beginner, an intermediate or an advanced trainee? Meaning a beginner is generally somebody who has zero to one year's lifting in the way that we're going to talk about to create your program if they're if they've been lifting progressively focused on compound lifts looking to get stronger um, incorporating the principles that we're about to talk about if they've only been doing this for zero to one year they are most likely a beginner anywhere from one to three years training properly they're most likely an intermediate and usually somewhere between Somewhere up three years or above is usually an advanced lifter. Somebody that's going to need to take the advanced approach to what we're going to talk about today. So, so first and foremost, I just want to set that frame. You need to understand, is the person that you're creating the program for, or maybe it's you're creating for yourself, are you a beginner, an intermediate, or an experience? It's everything that you 
create inside of each of these principles is going to be dependent on that. So first and foremost, when you go to put a program together, you need to put together a training split. A training split is the amount of days per week that you're going to um, train as well as what body parts in each of those sessions that you're going to hit in the workout. So traditionally, what a lot of the older generations have always gone by is what we now call a bro split. So it's basically hitting one body, one to two body parts per session. So it looked like chest and triceps on Monday, back and biceps on Tuesday, quads and glutes maybe on Wednesday, hamstrings and calves on Thursday, Friday would be shoulders, and then Saturday would be arms, and then you would rest on Sunday. What this does, it only allows you to train each body part once per week. And studies have shown time and time again, being able to train a body part at least twice per week is going to create better results for that body part because it's just getting a, a stimulus more often. That that leads to better results in the long time. In the long term, the more you can stimulate a muscle, um, the better it's going to respond over time. Now you still got to make sure that that muscle is recovered going into each session. So we don't want to work every single muscle group every single day. But setting up a split that is something maybe like a full body. So for a beginner, I would set up a full body. So Monday would be a full body session where we'd hit your entire body. Tuesday would be a rest day. Wednesday would be another full body session. Thursday would be a rest day, Friday would be another full body session, and then you would rest through the weekend. So you hit all your body parts three times per week. You had a little bit of rest in between, um, and you're able to move forward in that fashion, hitting each muscle group more often for a greater stimulus. You could also split that up as an upper-lower full body split. So upper your Monday upper, Tuesday rest, Wednesday lower, Thursday rest, Friday full body, Saturday rest, um, Sunday rest as well. So that way you're hitting each body part twice per week, upper the first day, lower the second, full body the third. You're still getting that little bit more frequency of a, of a stimulus on each muscle group. It's going to be able to create better results. Typically, the way that I would start it with somebody that's brand new, I would do two to three full body sessions per week. Once they've been going for a little bit, maybe they get through like a 12 to 24 week program, then we'll switch them to an upper lower full body type split as they get a little bit more advanced just to be able to handle a little bit more volume per session and then moving on we have an upper lower four times per week so upper monday lower tuesday rest wednesday upper thursday friday rest saturday lower um sunday rest so that's a little bit more experience that's going to it's going to let you be able to create a little bit more volume and we're going to talk about volume soon inside of your training so each of these that i'm going through is just allowing you to create to do a little bit more in each session without taking up your entire day. So from there, that would be an intermediate approach. An upper lower would be for an intermediate type trainee. Um, the next one would be a five-day split. So this is getting to be a little bit more per week, going to be a little bit more demand on your schedule and your life to be able to fit in your training. So this would be an upper-lower um, push-pull leg split. So Monday upper, Tuesday lower, Wednesday rest. Day four would be... Um, Thursday would be a push, chest, shoulders, and triceps. Friday, day five would be a pull, your back and biceps, and then back to, or Saturday would be a lower, and day seven would be a rest. So again, you're able to hit a little bit more of each body part in each session because you're breaking the body parts down a little bit further to be able to create more volume in each, each one of those. So don't get too confused with that. That's just another variable. 
um, that plays into it. We're going to talk about volume soon. And then the last would be a push-pull legs six times per week split. I wouldn't recommend this for a lot of people. I very, very, very rarely ever put together an entire push-pull legs by six times per week type training split for anybody just because this is going to be a bigger demand on your schedule. So if you have a family, if you have a job, getting into the gym and spending an hour in each session, hour to an hour and a half in each session is just not realistic for a lot of people. And so first and foremost, you have to understand whatever split that you choose here, they're beginner to advanced splits. Obviously, the less times you go per week, the more of like a beginner to intermediate you're going to be. And the more times you train per week, the more intermediate to advanced you're going to be. But before you even understand that, just make sure whatever split you can create, it's a split that you can stay consistent with. None of these splits are better or worse than the other. What's the most important to any of these splits being successful is you being able to be consistent with it. So whenever I take somebody on, the first thing I ask them when putting together their training program is how many days a week can you work out? A lot of times, most people will say five or six. Whatever they tell me, I'll generally take one to two days off of that and create their split for the first four weeks. Then I'll say, okay, prove to me that you can stay consistent and not miss any of these workouts. And then if, if you do stay consistent and you still want to go up to that number that you told me you could do, then we'll go up to that number of workouts per week. But you have to earn that number of workouts per week. If you can't consistently stick with it, just drop your split back. Me personally, I've been training for almost 10 years now and I'm only running an upper lower split four times per week just because it works my schedule better. I don't have to be so focused on training every single day. I have the off days to get all of my work and everything done, um, spend time with my family and things like that. So don't get so caught up in thinking that more is always better. Find out what's going to work for your life and you're going to be able to stay consistent with in the long run. And that's going to be the split that you should set up for yourself or for your client to create success inside of their program. And then once you have the split figured out, then you need to understand what exercises to include and what exercise variations to include in that program, right? So I've talked about this on previous episodes as well. There are seven key movements to a functional program that's going to just ensure that you're hitting every body part to not cause any imbalances in the body, any muscle imbalances that can potentially lead to, to injuries and different things. So your body basically has seven different movements, movement variations that it can perform um, and get stronger at. So number one is a horizontal press. Number two is a vertical press. Number three is a horizontal row. Number four is a vertical row. Number five is a hip hinge. Number six is a squat. And number seven is a single leg squat. Arguably more than that, you could talk about like a crunch, a reverse crunch, and like an anti-rotation. So like holding on to something and not letting yourself fall over to it. But holding the resistance to get it, that, those are, that's all going to be core work that can be included as well. But the first seven are the things that I really make sure that are included in everybody's program. And obviously, it's going to be split up a little bit different. Obviously, more of like an intermediate to advanced trainee, somebody that's more just has been in the gym longer and has already developed the skill of lifting weights and knows how to use proper form, we're going to use a little bit more advanced movement. So like for the horizontal press, we would use a barbell bench press. For the vertical press, we'd use a, a standing barbell overhead press. A horizontal row, something like a penlay row. The vertical row would be like a weighted pull-up or just a bodyweight pull-up. The hip hinge would be a barbell deadlift. The squat would be a barbell squat. And the single leg squat would be like a weighted Bulgarian split squat. Now that's somebody that knows how to train. They already have the movements down. 
we can just move directly into heavier compound movements like that to create the best results and create functional strength throughout all of our body's movement patterns. But for somebody that's a beginner or more of an intermediate that hasn't played around with those movements a lot, it's going to be best for them to learn those movement patterns in a in an easier fashion with more beginner style movements. So for the horizontal press, something like a dumbbell bench press, a dumbbell is going to have to make you use both arms simultaneously, but with their own weight to, to develop even strength gains and just understand how to feel your chest a little bit easier when you're pressing. And then for the vertical press, like a seated dumbbell shoulder press, same thing. We're using a dumbbells instead of an actual barbell. It's just a little bit easier to feel the correct muscles intended to be working number or for the horizontal row, something like a seated cable row rather than like a pen lay row where you're bent over with a barbell, the seated cable row is just a little bit easier to understand the movement and get the function of the movement down first. Then like as a cable pull down, maybe you're not strong enough to be performing a a pull up so we'll just move it to a pull down with a cable instead it's just to understand the movement and start to develop the strength to potentially move to the pull up later on um, for the hip hinge something like a kettlebell deadlift or even a trap bar deadlift so instead of getting a barbell and trying to do a deadlift where we can potentially put some pressure on the lower back um, starting with like a, a kettlebell or a trap bar is just more of an, a beginner movement into the actual barbell movement to learn the function of the movement and create the proper strength first for the squat so something like a kettlebell goblet squat so holding a, a kettlebell out in front of you it up close to your chest and learning the squat movement in that fashion before actually moving into a barbell squat and then number seven would be something like a body weight walking lunge rather than a bulgarian split squat lunge so you're still kind of able to balance on both feet as you're doing the movement and just understand how to create force through one leg at a time so so yeah understanding that those are the variations that you need to include that should be the foundation of your program those seven different types of variations then from there if you have somebody that wants to let's say you're working with a female who wants to further develop her glutes or her shoulders you can start adding in a lot more accessory and isolation type work for for that particular those particular body parts if you're working with a guy that wants to build up his chest further and and his arms you can add in a lot more of those types of variations and ex accessory and isolation movements for that or whatever it be but just understand those seven core variation movements should be the foundation to your exercise selection and then from there depending on the client or your goals that you have you can then go and add in the the remaining exercises that you would like to see to create um, the results and body that you're looking to create so now you understand what exercise to be including you need to understand how much volume to include in each muscle group for those exercises so your initial thoughts might be well what is volume it's pretty simple it's just the amount of sets you are performing for that muscle group and it's extremely important to understand this because a lot of people will end up doing far more volume than they need to to create the results that they want and ultimately hit, end up hitting this barrier where where they can't keep making the progress that they want to. So the less experience that you have, the less volume you're going to need to maintain your results or create further progress inside of each muscle group. The more or the more experience that you have, obviously the more volume you're going to need inside of each muscle group and each exercise. So for a beginner, somewhere between six to 12 sets per muscle group is, is probably going to be best. If you're an intermediate, somewhere between eight to 15 sets per muscle group is gonna be best. And if you're an advanced trainee, somewhere between eight to 20 sets per muscle group is going to be best. So what I would advise is the muscle groups that you're looking to develop the most, that you're wanting to create the most pro progress with, aim for the higher range 
of the amount of sets that I explained there. And if for the muscle groups that you're just looking to more maintain and just not lose any progress with, I would look at the bottom the bottom spectrum of the amount of sets that that I recommended there. So, so yeah, don't get caught up in thinking that the more work you do for a muscle group, the more that that muscle group's going to grow and you're going to benefit from it. A lot of times you'll build up far too much fatigue and end up not creating the result that you want to because you're actually overworking the muscle group and you're not actually strengthening it or creating the hypertrophic effect inside of it that you're actually wanting to to create the result that you're looking for another thing to keep in mind with these different amount of sets that you're doing per week you want to split these sets up over over your training split so let's say if you're doing an upper body day on monday and you're doing upper body day on thursday and you're doing let's say 10 sets of chest inside of there we're well, going to want to split it up so you're going to do five to six sets on that monday session and you're going to do another what would it be three to four or four to five sets on that thursday session as well doing this you're going to be able to create you're going to have better strength in both sessions for that muscle group so instead of trying to do all 10 sets in the first session well those last few sets you're going to be quite fatigued already so you're not going to be able to push as much weight or as be as strong in those sets so you're not going to get the same results as you would if you would just do the five to six sets in that first session and save the last four to five sets in the second session to where you've had enough time to recover you're fully um you don't have any more fatigue and then you can go at it with more strength inside of that session to produce a greater stimulus again and you're still getting in the same amount of volume for the week you're just splitting it up to have two better sessions than one longer session that where the the volume gets worse over time because you're losing your strength inside of that session so so yeah that's something to to really understand is that you don't need a ton of volume the the more advanced you get into your training, the more the more volume you're going to need to add to keep creating the result that you want to create. So again, when creating a program, it's just super important to understand who you're creating that program for, what their history looks like, and where they're currently at in their training career to be able to create the best results for them so they're not doing a bunch of wasted volume and they're not doing too little volume to create the result that they're wanting if they're more experienced training. Another question you might have about volume is the amount of reps you should be doing inside of each of those sets. So a good general guideline that I have learned and found to work the best, and I found this inside of the, the muscle strength or the strength and muscle pyramids by Eric Helms. Again, a lot of this information is coming directly from that book. That's where I learned a lot about my training there and through certifications and whatnot. So if you want to understand any of this any further, I highly, highly recommend um, the Muscle and Strength Pyramids book by Eric Helms. It'll really help you if you're a trainer. I highly recommend that book because it will give you a lot of information that um, that you need and just dive into things any deeper. But So as far as rep ranges go, it just depends on what the overall goal is. If the overall goal is just to produce more strength, maybe you're working with like a powerlifter type athlete or just a, a regular person that's looking to get a lot stronger. They really want to build strength and they like lifting heavier weights. I'd keep two thirds of the volume in roughly the two to six rep range and the last third of the volume in the hypertrophy and um, endurance rep ranges of six to 20 reps. If your goal is more to gain muscle, um, to gain more aesthetics, I would keep two-thirds of the volume in the 6 to 20 rep range, that hypertrophy and endurance rep range, and then the last third of the sets 
in the two to six rep range, which is more of the, of the strength rep range. So just understand that there's not a perfect formula to a certain amount of, of reps inside of each set. Understand that when you're working inside of the strength rep ranges, you're still going to put on muscle. And when you're working inside of the hypertrophy and endurance rep ranges, you're still going to, to gain strength as well. But just focusing on one or the other is going to produce more of the result that you are looking for. But you're still, a stronger muscle is a bigger muscle and a bigger muscle is generally a, a stronger muscle. And so, but at the same time, just changing your focus points is going to be the most important to receive the most benefit from whatever your goal may be. So once you have those things figured out, you have the split figured out, you have the exercises figured out, you have the volume needed figured out, you then come on to progressive overload, which is arguably one of the most important factors to a, to a successful program. Now, over time, you need to be doing more than what you were doing previously to create progress. You can't just go into the gym and do the same amount of weight with the same rep ranges over and over and expect to make progress. Your body's going to adapt to that and you're not going to make any further progress. You're going to plateau. So inside of your training plan, you need to have a form of progression, a plan of progression of how you're going to progress. There's a bunch of different ways to do it. You can progress through the amount of weight that you're lifting, the amount of reps that you're performing, a combination of both. You can progress through better form, through more time under tension, through doing more sets. And there's a lot more ways. But as a beginner, here's the easiest way for you to plan progression inside of, especially inside of your main compound lifts. It's called linear progression. So it's simple. It's just simply adding five to 10 pounds to the bar every single week. So let's say week one, you're doing the bench press for 135 pounds for five reps. Well, in week two, once you complete that, we'll just move to 140 pounds for five reps. In week three, we'll move to 145 pounds for five reps. Week four to 150 pounds for five reps and for, so forth. You get the picture. As a beginner, it's going to be easy to progress in that manner because you haven't developed any strength. You're developing your strength fast from week to week and you're going to be able to make progress faster. Now, with time, you're not going to always be able to keep progressing in that fashion to where it's just linear. So we'll move to more of a periodized approach, which is going to look a little bit different as you're going to start with a rep range. So let's say you're going to work inside of a five to seven rep range. So let's say you go onto the bench press in week one, you're going to do 135 pounds for seven reps. In week two, you're going to do 140 pounds for six reps. In week three, you're going to do 145 pounds for five reps. And then in week four, you're going to start back over at that seven reps, but you're going to up the weight by five pounds from the previous time you did seven reps. So instead of doing 135 pounds for seven reps like you did in week one, in week four, you're going to do 140 pounds for seven reps to create progressive overload from week one to week four. And then you're just going to continue to do that down the line again. So week five, you'll do 145 pounds for six reps. Week six, you'll do 150 pounds for five reps. So you're working in that scheme where as the weight gets heavier, the amount of reps you do lessens by one, but you're, you're periodizing it. So you're coming back to it and increasing the overall load again to continue to create progressive overload inside of that scheme. So for this, I'll generally do this with my more 
intermediate to advanced trainees. People that have been training for maybe a year and a half to two years. They're having a harder time progressing just in weight used and performing the same amount of reps every single session. We'll change some more of this periodized approach inside of all of their main compound movements. A lot of the movements that um, those seven main variations that we talked about back in the exercise selection section of this podcast. So that will be with all of those movements with your accessory and your isolation movements. So let's say like all of your, like your bicep curls, your leg extensions, things that are more isolation focused. I tend to use a double progression method for progressive overload. So this is a, um, a combination of using weight and using reps to create progression. So again, we'll use a rep range instead of just a single rep, like we use in the periodization model but we're going to progress through weight and through reps. So we'll start at 135 pounds in week one for, let's say, eight reps. In week two, we go to 135 pounds for nine reps. In week three, we'll, go to, we'll stick with 135 pounds for 10 reps. In week four, we'll then up the weight to 140 pounds. So we've upped that weight by five pounds. And in week four, we'll do it for eight reps. Week five, we'll do it for nine reps. And week six, we'll do it for 10 reps. And then we would up the weight by another five pounds. So we'd go to 145 pounds, start at eight reps, work it up to nine, work it up to 10, and keep repeating in that fashion. So in my experience and when I program for people, this is what I have found to work the best and be the easiest to keep progression going. Now, there are other ways to create progression that um, to make things a little bit more fun and interesting, you can do it through an added range of motion. So let's say you're doing a deadlift instead of trying to always add weight, well, you could add a range of motion. So we could do a deficit deadlift. We could put, um, make you stand up a little bit higher so you have to pull the weight farther off the floor with the same amount of weight, and that's going to create progressive overload as well. Or else you could do things like time. Let's say you're running a, a circuit and you're doing it for time. Let's say in, in week one you do that circuit of, let's say, like a, a dumbbell curl and a tricep extension. Let's say you do a constant circuit for three minutes where you do eight reps on each and just continually do that for three minutes. Well, in the next week, you go to four minutes. The next week, you go to five minutes. The next week, you go to six minutes. So there's different ways to create progressive overload. The easiest ways, in my opinion, are using the linear progression, linear periodization, and double progression models that I have just gone over here. And again, I do have this blog um, link below that I'm going over now with you that if you want to go in and see this um, with your own eyes instead of just hearing it from me, you can click on the link and look at these different progression models to plan in your own programming or for your clients as well. Another factor that you're going to want to keep track of is the amount of intensity you're using inside of your program. So intensity is simply just how hard or not hard you're working throughout the program relative to failure. So this is where reps in reserve comes into handy. If you've never heard of reps in reserve, it's a simple thing. All it is is just a number scheme that you use in your head to judge how difficult the sets you're doing are relative to failure. So it works in a number a number scheme. Zero RIR reps in reserve would be completing a lift to entire failure. So let's say you did eight reps. After that eighth rep, you could not get another rep done regardless. There's no way you're going to be able to get another rep. That means that you hit a zero RIR. You had no reps left in reserve. A one RIR would be, let's say you did eight reps, but you could have done nine reps, but you stopped at eight. A two RIR would be you did eight reps, but you could have got 10 reps, so, um, but instead you stopped at two, so you had a two RIR, two RIR, 
or an RIR of three would be you have three reps left in the tank when you decide to quit. Four IR, four RIR, that's a hard thing to keep saying, would be four reps and so forth. You get the picture. So it needs to be built inside of your program. You don't want to be running your program at a zero RIR at the very beginning of the program because then you're not going to be able to create progression inside of your workouts and 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 follow the progression scheme that you have laid out for yourself. So you have to periodize the intensity. We're going to talk about periodization here next, but as far as the intensity goes, you have to start at a lower intensity at the beginning of the program and build that up over time so that as you're you're adding more weight to the bar each and every week or doing an extra rep or adding more sets, whatever it may be to create progression, you have a little bit of room to progress. And as you progress, your strength gets a little bit better. So everything moves up together, if that makes sense. So you're not starting at a zero RIR in your first session. And then in week two, where you went to complete failure in that first session, if you try to get one more rep in the second session and you almost hit failure again, you're not allowing your body to properly recover and you're going to hit a wall sooner rather than later. You might get away with that for a few weeks, but if the over a 12 week program, there's no way you're going to be able to make that happen over the 12 weeks, which is going to stall you out and ultimately make you make less progress in the long term. So, so understand any properly put together program. If you're starting a new programming, you're going to need to start that programming somewhere around a three to four RIR. So week one, maybe it's 135 pounds for eight reps at a three RIR, meaning you're using a weight that you could have probably got for potentially 11 reps, but you're going to stop at eight reps. So in the next week, you can take that same weight to nine reps. And the next week, you can take that same weight to 10 reps and then your one RIR and then potentially add weight and go back down to the eight reps and keep going. It's going to help you manage your fatigue. So you're not always running into a wall. Your training's not going to be quite so hard, but it's still going to be stimulating enough to create more strength or create more hypertrophy, AKA muscle gain to produce the result that you want without running your fatigue so hard into the ground and ultimately hitting a brick wall sooner rather than later. On the flip side though, you don't want your RIR to be too low. We need enough intensity to stimulate the proper result that we're looking for, which doesn't mean we need to be going to complete failure. But if you're leaving six, seven, eight reps left in the tank, well, you're not pushing that intensity high enough to force your, your body to adapt to it. So you're not really going to create change. And this happens with a lot of people. A lot of people will overestimate their RIR that they're using and ultimately wonder why they're not making progress as fast as they can. Just understand that a three RIR is still going to be hard. It's still going to, it's still going to be uncomfortable and you're going to feel burn inside of the muscle stopping three reps shy. It's not going to be like, this is super easy. Let's say you're doing a dumbbell row. You just do the row. Like it's basically nothing. And by that last rep, like there's not a lot of burn. Maybe there's just a, a slight, slight burn, nothing too hard, but you could keep going for, for 10 more reps. That's not going to create the the response that you're looking for from the resistance training and not to pick on females, but this is something I have to harp on with females. A lot is, is pushing yourself harder than, than you think you can. We're all stronger than we think we are. If you were to hold a gun to your head, somebody was to hold a gun to your head and tell you to do 10 reps with a certain amount of weight, you probably are going to try your hardest. And I'm not saying you have to think about somebody holding a gun to your head when you're doing a set, but just understand, push yourself as 
as hard as you can. Understand that you're stronger than you think you are and that an RIR, a three RIR isn't just super easy at the end of the set. It shouldn't just be like, oh, that was that was kind of hard. An RIR of three, a true RIR of three is still going to be difficult, just not quite as difficult as a zero RIR of taking it to complete failure. All right, and the last thing that I want to touch on when it comes to creating a program is probably the thing that will answer all of the questions that you have in your head at the moment. So you might be wondering, how long should the program be? When do you, when should you switch up the exercises inside of the program? Um, when should you switch up the rep ranges? When should you add volume? How do you help prevent hitting a wall once you've you've gone for a, a good amount of weeks and you've started that RIR of seven? How do you prevent yourself from eventually hitting that wall and still being able to increase your strength without hitting that RIR of zero too often. And so this is where periodization comes in, where you're periodizing everything. You're periodizing the intensity, you're periodizing the volume, you're periodizing the progressive overload, you could be periodizing the training split, you're periodizing the exercises that you're using. And this is where creating a program becomes more of an art form and a craft than just like simply science or research-based. Everybody's going to periodize their programs in a little bit of a different fashion. That's kind of what um, is the signature to different trainers and different different coaches out there is everybody will create the, these periodization schemes inside that are a little bit more individualized to them and what they found to work best with the clients or with themselves um, in their own types of programming. And so whenever I'm creating a program for somebody, I'll generally create those programs in 12-week cycles. So you'll I'll, I'll think of your program as in a 12-week timeline. And inside of that timeline, I'm creating three mini four-week programs. So you'll have block one, which is weeks one through four, block two, which is weeks five through eight, and block three, which is weeks nine through 12. So um, the entire 12 block would be considered a meso cycle, and the three-week block or the four-week blocks inside of that would be considered the mini cycles of the program. And so what I do inside of there is I'll generally leave the main compound movements the same. So the main squat, deadlift, and bench variations will stay consistent throughout the entire 12 weeks. But I'll switch out the accessory and isolation movements every four-week block. This will allow the program to hammer at progressive overload in those main compound movements, but still add some variety to the rest of the the block so that you're not getting so burnt out from just doing the same thing over and over. You're adding some variety in what you're doing from block to block. So you'll follow an entire four-week block and and perform the same exercises throughout and then in the next block the compound movement will stay the same as the first block but all of the remaining exercises inside of each of those workouts will be switched up a little bit different than they were in that first block just to create some variety and then you can change up the progressive schemes as well so maybe in that first block you were doing a dumbbell curl and a dumbbell tricep extension and you're focused on double progression. So doing more reps, hitting the top of the rep range and then adding weight and starting over. Well, maybe we'll switch then to like a cable curl and a tricep cable skull crusher. And instead of focusing on focus or on progressing through reps and through weight, we'll focus on progressing through a time circuit. So let's say we'll put four minutes on the clock and then we'll perform eight reps of the tricep movement, eight sets of the curl movement simultaneously for that four minutes for 
for eight reps of each. Then in the next week, we'll do it for five minutes. The next week, we'll do it for six minutes. The next week, we'll do it for seven minutes. We're creating progressive overload in that fashion instead of just through weight or reps. So it's a fun way to switch things up and keep things interesting throughout each block where you're periodizing these different types of methods to create more fun inside of the program and stop it from getting stale so that you're getting some variety and able to enjoy the process. One last thing that you'll want to periodize into the program as well is deloads. Now a deload is a form of periodization to your intensity and to the volume that you're doing. So as you're continually progressing throughout the program, your fatigue is continuously building as well. Meaning at some point you're going to hit a brick wall in terms of fatigue and that needs to be managed. This is where deloads come in. I'll generally put deloads inside of a program anywhere from four to 12 weeks. So if you're a beginner, brand new, I'll usually incorporate deloads anywhere from six to 12 weeks. And if you're more intermediate to advanced anywhere from four to six weeks. So a deload is where we take a week and we drop the volume that you're doing to allow your body to fully recover, to be back to 100% to continue making progress in the long term. So typically you would plan to have a week where everything is a lot easier. So you drop volume and you're only doing 30 to or you're dropping volume by 30 to 50% of what you would do regularly just to drop that fatigue, bring back some mental motivation, some physical energy, some physical motivation and drive to be able to keep pushing forward and keep progressing. You can't always just keep going in a linear fashion in terms of progression and keep creating results. You're going to end up hitting a wall. So a deload is like taking one step back to always continue to take two steps forward for longer. It's just super key to have in your plan to to help with motivation. As you keep training, things are going to get tougher and tougher. And as, as your training gets tougher and tougher, a lot of times motivation can go away. So using a deload to take things easy in the gym for a week or even just take a, a week completely off from the gym to reset, to regain your motivation and get back in and start giving your full effort in progression again is going to be much better than just continually trying to hit against a, a brick wall when your motivation's gone, you're not making any progress any further, your fatigue and your body's build up super high, and you're at this brick wall that you can't bust through. Sometimes you've got to take a step back, let yourself fully recover, regain some motivation, and go back so that you're able to give 100% and your body's in a position to be able to give that 100% in itself. So a deload is just taking 30 to 50% of the total volume away and and lifting at an easier pace to let your fatigue manage, come down so that you're back at 100% to take things at full throttle again. So typically, on a, if I'm working with a beginner, I'll just plan deloads in every six to eight weeks. If I'm working with an intermediate to advanced who's already pushing themselves really hard in the gym, they've used up a lot of the capacity and potential that they have in terms of strength and muscle, we'll add in these deloads a little bit more often because they're using a lot heavier loads that are a lot more stressful on their bodies compared to a beginner. So obviously when it comes to creating a training program, there's a lot more to it than just going into the gym and just lifting some weight. Obviously that's always going to be better for you than not doing that. Doing something is always better than doing nothing. But if the plan is to create continual progress or to create the toned look that you're looking for as a female or to put on a decent amount of muscle as a male, 
you need a plan going in. You need some sort of program and plan of progression, plan of periodization, the correct amount of volume, the correct types of exercises and all these different things to really push at that goal that you have in the fastest manner and the most efficient manner so that you're maximizing the time that you're investing into what you're doing. And that's the goal for all of us, right? We want to get to where we're going in the fastest and most sustainable way possible. When we have plans for our programming and we, we program in these 12-week blocks or even even just an 8-week block, 12-week block, 16, 24-week block, we're just taking the time to pre-plan what we're going to do to ensure we're going to make the progression that we need to make. You're going to end up getting to the result that you want to get to. This is exactly what I do for all of the clients that I work with. This is what I do for myself. Sometimes when I'm feeling kind of still in my own programming, I'll even um, talk with other colleagues and coaches and have them create programs for me just so I can kind of see how they're doing things so I can switch things up or or just find new fun ways to implement different types of programming to, to do for my own clients and different things like that. So if you, like I said before, if you fail the plan, you're planning to fail. If you've taken this information, you feel like you can go create your own program, by all means do it. If you feel like you need a little bit more help, you're more than welcome to reach out. Like I always say, my email is linked down below. You're more than welcome to shoot me um, an email. We can conversate. If you'd like me to potentially help you put together your programming, we could work that out and I could help you with that. Or if you're just looking for some advice or you're trying to put together your own programming, you'd like me to look at it, I'd be more than happy to help you in that way too. So I really do appreciate you for listening. If you did find value from this episode, I'd be super appreciative. You could take a screenshot, post it on your IG story, tag me in the story so that I can repost it. And thank you for listening to this episode. I hope you guys all have an amazing day and I'll talk with you soon.